Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Turn with me to Numbers, the 13th chapter. Numbers, the 13th chapter. We're going to spend some time in the Old Testament today. So turn on your phone, your iPad, your tablet. Open a paper book. Not too many of those around anymore, but they're all welcome here. It's all the same Word of God. Amen? I'm going to start reading with verses 1. And then I'm going to skip around on down to verse 33. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm going to read the ones that are pertinent to our message today. Numbers 13, 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. Then down to verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, or the promised land, and said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains, and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. And verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned... From out the land after 40 days. Now look at verse 27. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. And then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. King James says it's an evil report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone has, as spies is a land that devours, devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants. Of the they, they came from the giants. They were like grass in our own sight, and so were we in sight. Well, first of all, they were spies. They were out of sight. The enemy didn't see him, so he was just speculating how they would look in the eyes of the enemy. 
But we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament this morning because the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians, or 10, 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that all the things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament were examples for us and they were written for our, our admonition. So the promised land, for example, is a type and shadow of the New Testament believer's life in the Holy Ghost. Israel had a physical land uh, with promises of healing, protection, prosperity. Uh, is this going on? Okay. They had physical cities to conquer, physical mountains to overcome, and physical giants to slay. And we have a spiritual promised land with all the same benefits and challenges that they had, except it's spiritual. And they had to go in and conquer the land before they could enjoy anything in it. And we have to go in and conquer our promised land before we can enjoy anything in it as well. But everything that you need is in the promised land. Healing's in the promised land. Prosperity is in the promised land. Provision is in the promised land. Protection is in the promised land. Everything you need is in the promised land, but you have to go in by faith and possess it. Amen? So Moses chose one man from each of the 12 tribes, and all the men that he chose were men of authority, and they were leaders of the tribes. And he picked men that he thought were reliable and that he could count on. He picked brave, physical, skilled, capable men that he knew would be able to handle the mission because it was going to be a 40-day mission and it was going to be in some pretty rough terrain amongst the enemies and he wanted them to be able to keep up for the 40 days. And so the Bible says he sent them to spy out the land. And you remember I told you before that uh, brilliant military strategies, strategists of this day and age have gone to the Bible to learn military strategies from some of the things that God did through uh, his leaders like Moses and Joshua. And this is no exception here. Uh, this strategy is called reconnaissance. Those spies were actually scouts. And so this is called reconnaissance. And the word reconnaissance is a 19th century uh, French word that means to recognize or see to recognize or see. Go in the land, see what you can recognize, and see what you can see, and then come back and tell me. It's defined in the dictionary as a military observation of a region to locate an enemy or ascertain certain strategic features. And then it goes on to say it's a preliminary survey. It's exploration, it's observation, investigation, examination, inspection, probe, scrutiny, scan, patrol, search, expedition, scouting, spying out. And the abbreviated military word for it is recon. The men they send out are called scouts. And their job is to recognize and see. That's their whole job, recognize and see come back and tell me what you recognize and tell me what you saw. And it's like, see what the terrain is like. Is there any hills or mountains? Is there any wooded areas? Can we use armored tanks or personnel carriers? Can we use artillery? Can the in infantry traverse the land or do we need to drop them from helicopters or planes? Uh, are there places to provide cover and concealment? How many enemy troops? What kind of weapons do they have? And these are some of the things that they would try to recognize and see in the land that they were scouting out. And then the scouts would return from their reconnaissance mission and they would report to the leadership and tell them everything they recognized and saw. And then the leadership would develop a strategy based on the information that they received.
And uh, if any of you are familiar with big companies, how they're ran, you know, they have a president or a CEO, they have a financial officer in this, but they're not out in the field. They're not on the ground. They're in an office somewhere and, and running the company from that office, but they have scouts on the ground. They have men and women on the ground that work for them that go out and recognize and see the problems that they might incur as a company. And then they have a meeting and they report everything to the CEO. And then he makes a decision as to what the, the company's next move is going to be. Amen. And you would have to be a fool to make decisions without having all the available information at your disposal. So you want to send scouts out and you want to get some information before you make major decisions. And they would determine from the reconnaissance how they would go in and conquer the land and defeat the enemy. What direction to approach, to approach, the best time to go in, how many men should we send in, what kind of equipment should we go with, what kind of weapons, should we use artillery first or should we use air support? And then they want oversight. Modern, I'm talking modern day now. They want a, a drone or a satellite giving them oversight of the land that they're going into so they can see the movements of the enemy and plan accordingly the different strategies that they need. And remember, these things were done as examples for us. So I'm not just reading you a nice story this, this morning. I'm telling you something that we could learn from. Amen? Amen. And here's something that I learned from this example. The scout's only job is to go into the land, recognize and see, and gather reconnaissance or gather information and take that back to the leadership and tell them what they saw and what they recognized. And then the leadership would determine what strategy they needed to go in and take the land. And the leadership didn't want their opinion. They just wanted the facts. What did you recognize? What did you see? I don't want your opinion. Uh, I don't want to know whether we're capable of conquering the land or not. Our vision is bigger than your vision. You don't see the things the way we see them. And so you just give us the information. And above all, they don't want them talking to anyone else because they just want the information. And then the leadership will do the talking to the people or the troops. And so they only want the information that was gathered and then the leadership will develop the strategy. Uh, when I was in the military we had a saying that's even used in civilian circles today, when in doubt send a scout Pettyway. When you don't know what's going on send a scout, see what's happening, let them see what they can recognize. And, and if you're not sure where you're going or the adventure that you're about to embark on, confer with a scout. In other words, Talk to someone who's been there. Talk to someone who knows the lay of the land. Talk to somebody that has some information concerning where you're going. Someone that knows the advantages and the pitfalls of where you're going. Talk to someone who can recognize and see and tell you what to expect in your adventure into that land that you're not familiar with. Are you getting married? Getting ready to buy a new car, a new house? Are you getting ready to go to college to relocate, maybe start a new career? Are you ready to uh, kick an addiction? Talk to somebody that's been there. Amen. Get a scout. 
Talk to someone that's been there and knows the lay of the land. And you better talk to someone who knows the pitfalls and the things to watch for in whatever your uh, adventure you're going into, whatever you're about to embark on. And here's something else that's important. If you're a scout, keep your opinions to yourself. Just give the information they need to know and let them develop their own strategies. Tell them what you learned from 50 years of marriage, but don't tell them whether or not they should get married. Tell them what you learned in the land of finances, but don't tell them what they should buy or what they shouldn't buy or how to spend their money. Just tell them what you learned, what you've seen and recognized in that land. Tell them uh, everything. Tell them the pitfalls and stuff and let them decide how they want to develop a strategy. And above all, I said above all, Never discourage them or cast doubt and fears like the 10 spies did. Just give them the information and experience that you gathered and then shut your mouth. Let them make their own decisions. Let them develop their own strategies and let them learn along the way. Be a guide, but that's all. And this is hard for parents because... (laughs) You don't know where to draw the line between being a parent and being a scout and being an advisor and being a friend. You know, when my kids grew up, it took me a long time to get to the place where, hey, take that father hat off. You can't tell them what to do. They got their own jobs. They're making their own money. They're living in their own apartments or houses. You don't have the same authority you used to have as a father. And there were times where I had to sit there and keep my mouth shut. I knew I wanted to say something. I knew what I wanted to say, but I knew I didn't have no business saying it. Now, if they asked, then the floodgates were open. But it took me a while to get to that place. Ten of the 12 spies told them what they recognized and saw in the land. But then they made the fatal error telling them their opinion of what they saw. They told them they weren't able to take the land and they filled the people with fear, doubt and unbelief. They they were in fear. They had doubts about themselves and they were in unbelief about the things that God told them. God says, go in and possess the land. He already gave it to them. Amen. And, and, you know, he had already told them about the land. He also told them that he had given it to them. And when God tells you he's given you something, you can take it to the bank. But they they got into fear, doubt and unbelief. And it caused them not to go into the promised land. And they should have never even sent the 12 spies in because God already knew what was in the promised land. And he already told Moses what was in the promised land to tell the people they don't need to go in and see. But God let them take spies into the country because that's what they wanted to do. They didn't want to take God's word for it. Oh, the times that I I should have took God's word for something, but I didn't. I had to find out for myself and it always proved to be a mistake. Take God's word for it. If God said it, it's so. Amen. But they couldn't take God's word for it. So they had to send in their own spies. And that's what caused the whole mess. All they had to do was go in and possess it. I mean, did God say you were healed? Did he say you were saved? Did he say he wanted you to prosper? Did he say he would meet all your needs according to his riches and glory? 
then go in and possess it. There's nothing else to recon. There's no other information you need. God said it. That settles it. Amen. So God told him in Deuteronomy, he says, he told Moses, he said, look, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and possess it. That's all they needed to know right there. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. Now, why did he tell them that? Because he knew they were going to get in fear and be discouraged. They were going to get in doubt and they were going to get in unbelief. But when God tells you to go in and possess something, he gives you the ability to do it or he wouldn't tell you to do it. God will never tell you to do something that you're not capable of doing or something that you can't do. If God says to do something, you can do it. It's built into the word. Faith is built into his word. You don't even have to have faith to do it. Because if you just follow the word, the faith is built in there and you'll run into it by accident. Amen. God said it was a good land with brooks of water, valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and of, of fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land of plenty. He said it was a rich land. It was even full of minerals and iron and brass. It was a wonderful land. But they refused to go in. Why? Fear, doubt and unbelief. It kept them from the promised land. It kept them from all the things God told them that they could have. And they believed the ten spies over God's word. God told them to go in and possess the land which he already gave them. And they said, how can we go in? Our brethren, the ten spies, has discouraged our hearts. And that's why you scouts need to keep your opinions to yourself. Don't ever discourage somebody. Their vision might be greater than yours. Their faith might be greater than yours. And what you see as something that's impossible, they see as possible. Don't discourage them. Let them try. And do you know how many times people have discouraged others with their own fears and doubts and unbeliefs? And your fears, doubts, and unbeliefs shouldn't be theirs. How, how many times parents have discouraged their own children from pursuing their dreams and visions? I mean... Keep your fears and doubts and unbelief to yourself. These are them times when you need to just keep your mouth shut. Even if you think they can't do it, don't tell them that. Let's look at Numbers 13, 32 and 33 again. And they, the ten spies, brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants there and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. But they didn't have God. Verse 33, And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. We saw, we saw, we saw. Too much emphasis on what they saw, not enough emphasis on what God said. If you want to walk in faith or walk by faith, then you can never walk by what you see. You can never walk by your feelings and what your emotions are telling you. you got to, if you're going to walk by faith, you've got to walk by God's word because that's where the faith is at. Instead of looking at what's going on around you and looking at your circumstances uh, and going by what you can see, 
you better redirect your gaze and look at the promises or look at the word of God. What did God say about it? That overrides everything that you see, because I've entered into things that looked impossible, but I was looking at them through my eyes. God said they're not impossible. With him, all things are possible. So sometimes you have to say, look, it don't look good to me. I don't see how I can do it. But God said I could have it. So I'm going to believe him and he'll make a way. For we walk how? By faith and not how? By sight. We don't walk by sight. Sight can be deceiving, especially in this day and age. Uh, photos chopping or shopping or whatever they call it. Uh, you can't even believe what you see. You know, uh, we used to have a saying, uh, don't believe half of what you see and anything you hear or something like that. But that's changed now. You can't even believe what you see. You know, I mean, unless it's on Facebook, of course, if it's on Facebook, it's got to be true. But rather than consider the promise of God, these people relied on what they saw and their feelings, their fears, their doubts and unbelief overrode what God said. The two spies that did believe God tried to encourage the people to go in. Remember what Caleb said? He said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able. But the people said, no, we're not able. And so they believed the, uh, the negative report. They believed the evil report. They lost the fight before they ever engaged the enemy. They lost it here. And so that kept them from even engaging. That kept them from even getting into the fight. And isn't it funny how we tend to believe a bad report over a good one? I mean, if they had believed God and gone boldly in to possess the land, like Caleb said, they wouldn't have wasted 40 years of their life going around the same mountain. 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert. Why? Because of fear, doubt, and unbelief. And how many times have we thought, if only I would have believed God, if only I would have did it God's way rather than my way, I wouldn't have been in this mess. I would have had that new house a long time ago. I would have had that new car. I would have had that new job, that promotion. If I did it his way, if only I would have did it his way. See, whether you like it or not, there's going to be times in your life when your faith is challenged, when you will be challenged. And you're going to have to cross some rivers, conquer some cities, uh, move a mountain or two and slay some giants. Amen. Israel had to do it in the natural. You got to do it spiritually. Pastor, why are you talking so negative? Why you got to be a downer? Because I'm trying to prepare you for real life. It ain't a bowl of cherries. It ain't floating down the river merrily, merrily, or whatever the song is. There's going to be times in your life when you're going to have to fight for what you want and fight for what you need and fight even for the promises of God to come to pass in your life. Everything God's promised you has a condition. If you'll do this, I'll do this. And if you don't do this, he's not obligated to do this. And so sometimes those things don't come very easily. God may have promised you all these things, but there's walled cities, there's mountains, there's giants, there's obstacles that are going to pop up in your way. And he doesn't want you defeated. He wants you going over. He wants you going through. He wants you going around, but he don't want you standing still. And he wants you to engage 
engage the enemy. Hallelujah. Have you ever noticed your healing doesn't always come easy? God delivered you, but you had to fight to stay free. God said he'd prosper you in the land, but you had to conquer it. You might have had to work for that prosperity. It's not all just given to us like a lot of people would like to believe. And see, God may have promised you all these things, but like I said, there's something standing between you and the thing that he promised you. It's a walled city, it's a mountain, it's a uh, giant, it's something, some kind of obstacle that the enemy has set up to block your forward progress. And yet some of you are defeated before you even try. Some of you give up without a fight. And that's why I said the scouts need to be careful what you tell people. Don't ever discourage people because you'll cause them to be defeated in their own mind before they ever even try. And they will never know and they'll never be satisfied uh, knowing that they had a chance but never tried. And, you know, when I was working for UPS, I probably said this before. I, I repeat myself a lot, but I, that's all right. Uh, my boss told me, he said, I'd rather have you try and fail than not try at all. He said, I will never get on your case because you messed up or you failed. I will get on your case if you didn't do nothing at all. And so that's what, that was my attitude. I tried everything. I couldn't get in trouble for it. So I said, what the heck? I'll give it a shot. And he stood behind me all the time. <laughs> Here we go. I can remember back in Chicago when I was starting high school, my older brother told me that I would be bullied into giving my lunch money away. I know, here we go again with the old lunch money story. Yeah, I told it before, but this is my message, and I'll tell whatever stories I want to. Now, after that rude interruption, let me finish my story. My brother said, no matter what, don't give up your lunch money. If you give that bully your lunch money, you will buy him lunch until one of you graduates. <laughs> and sure enough, I went there in no time, maybe a few days, and here, here came the bully. He stopped me in the hallway and said, give me your lunch money, boy, I'm hungry. Now, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. My name is Hungry Hungry Hollis. <laughs> now, he reminded me of David and Goliath, and guess who I was? <laughs> I swallowed hard and just like my brother, I said, that ain't happening. He told me, what? He said, I'll kick the southern part of your anatomy. He said, you don't think I can do it? I said, well, as a matter of fact, I think you probably can. He was bigger than me. I was scared. But I know one thing for sure. When people see you tomorrow, they're going to know you've been in a fight. I said, you might kick my anatomy, but I ain't going down without a fight. Amen. Look at your neighbor say, I ain't going down without a fight. But long story short, I didn't get my butt kicked. He didn't get my lunch money and no one ever asked me again. As a matter of fact, we became friends as a result of that. Uh, he even started giggling. He said, I kind of like you, you know. And so we became friends. But, you know, what's the moral of the story? My brother was a scout. He did the recon. He told me what to expect and he told me what not to do. And so if I didn't have that advice, I'd have been buying lunch for that guy for four years or whatever until I graduate anyway. I don't think he would ever graduate, but he just roams the hall and gets lunch money. <laughs> 
But the moral of the story, there's going to be times in your life when you don't feel like you can do something. Uh, but I'm here to tell you this morning, don't give up without trying. Don't give up without a fight. And, and there were plenty of times in my life when I had fears and doubts and unbelief about certain things. And one of the best examples, when I resigned from 20 years at UPS and we packed up our family, moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which I never heard of before then, or Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. I heard of Tulsa, but never heard of Broken Arrow. And we went to Bible college in a strange land, and I was full of fears, doubts, and unbelief. And I ain't ashamed to tell you. I mean, first of all, it took me a year to finally agree to go. And even then, I went reluctantly. And I knew there was the possibility that we could fail. That's right. I wasn't the mighty man of faith and valor that I am today. But I knew one thing, I wasn't going down without a fight. And I would have never known unless I went there. And let me tell you something, when you step out in faith like that, even when you're full of fear, doubt, and unbelief, even when you think you're going to fail, if you'll just step out in faith, take the first step, God's anointing will carry you through. Amen. I mean, we were there uh, maybe a month, and then all everything gets shaken and rearranged because... A lot, I don't, I don't know how many percentage-wise, but a lot of people dropped out and went back home. And I'm telling you, it was only because of the anointing that we stayed and we stuck it out. It was the anointing that caused us to do that. It wasn't in me to do it on my own. But when God anoints you, you'd be surprised what you can do and what you can tolerate and what you can put up with. And so, you know, take the first step. And so what if you fail? At least you tried. But if you take the step and you put your faith and trust in God, you won't fail. You will do what God told you to do and you'll do it successfully. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I mean, uh, two years in rain after working for, for UPS, 20 years, and then getting me a job at Walmart making five bucks an hour in the tire, battery, and accessory shop back there. I was doing wheel alignments, charging air conditioners, and brakes, and doing brakes uh, for five bucks an hour. That was a big change for me. It wasn't easy. I had muscles and bones hurting me I didn't even know I had. I used to sit up in a chair, sleep at night with both arms propped up on pillows. My, my arms were aching me so bad from uh, changing them tires and stuff. But I did it. Amen. And the only reason I did it, because I refused to quit. But anyway, Moses never got the children of Israel into the promised land. Matter of fact, right after he died, God appointed Joshua as his successor. And Joshua is the one that led them into the promised land. But he had a different leadership style than Moses did. And I'm going to contrast the two styles just a little bit. Now, Moses was a good leader. Don't get me wrong. God chose him. He must have been a good leader because God don't choose no junk, you know. So he chose Moses. And Moses did lead him out of Egypt. That was pretty hard. But he did lead him out of Egypt, and he led them to the promised land, but he didn't lead them into the promised land. And the reason is because he seemed to tolerate a lot more than Joshua would have because there are two different types of leadership, two different types of style. And so he, was, he would more or less give in to the people at times when he shouldn't have, where Joshua wouldn't do that. An example of this is a time when Israel was supposed to enter the promised land, which we read about. And Moses sends the 12 scouts and based on the bad report of 10 of them, he failed to lead the people in. 
Now let me show you the difference between Moses and Joshua. Here it is some 40 years later, and the children of Israel are standing on the edge of the same Jordan River that Moses was to cross over with the people. And it was the border of the promised land, one of the borders of the promised land. Uh, here you're in the wilderness, cross the Jordan, you're in Canaan land. And so they had a river to cross. And uh, just like with Moses, except Joshua sends out two spies. I don't know, maybe he had flashbacks of the ten or something. He said, I'm just going to send two. And if they come back and they disagree, I'll break the tie. So when the two scouts returned, they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the habitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. See, with Moses, the people were faint-hearted, and the enemy wasn't. But the people caused that to happen through fear, doubt, and unbelief. So Joshua evaluates the information that he received from the recon of the two scouts, and he makes a decision to go in. We're going in, he says. He didn't ask anyone for advice. He didn't put it uh, to a vote. He didn't even ask his officers. He just took the recon and made a decision. That's what a good leader does. And in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 10 and 11, it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, telling them to pass through the camp and command the people. He told his, he commanded his officers to command the people. He said, go through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourself for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. He didn't ask his officers to pass through the camp. He commanded them. He didn't ask the people if they would prepare to go in. He commanded them to prepare. He didn't ask them if they wanted to cross the Jordan. He said in three days you will cross the Jordan whether you want to or not. Now second guessing Moses a little bit here because I know hindsight is crystal clear. But I wonder what would have happened if he said the same thing to all the crybabies 40 years earlier. If he just said shut up. You are going in. You are crossing this Jordan. I don't care what you think. I'm not asking for your opinion. I just want you to tell me what you've seen in the land. And based on what you saw, we're going in and possess it because it is a land flowing with milk and honey. And so, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't go in. They would have went in. I pray you parents are listening. Sometimes there's things you have to tell your children that they will or will not do. Amen? Don't get their opinions. <laughs> if, if they were smart enough to know what to do, they wouldn't need you as a parent. Sometimes based on the journey that you had into the land, you could tell them what they will or will not do. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about grown children. I'm talking about children in your responsibility. And then the first thing they had to possess in the promised land was a well-fortified city called Jericho. And in Joshua 6, 1 and 2, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. They were in lockdown. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See? And what did he tell Moses? He told Moses to look. He told Joshua to see. I have given you 
past tense, into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. I've already given them to you, Joshua. Yeah, but they're in that wall city and it's locked up and we can't get in. That wall's too high, it's too thick. No, Joshua didn't say none of that. He said, whoopee. God doesn't give it to me. But he told Joshua to see. He told Moses to look. And, and, and there's a difference between looking at something and seeing something. Think about it a minute. Amen. Some of you have been looking at something for a long time, but you ain't seen it yet. And the day that you see it, a light bulb is going to come on and you're going to possess it. The first and most important thing God told Joshua, the first letter, the first word in the sentence was see. And, and why is that the first and most important thing? Because God was imparting vision into Joshua. He wanted him to see himself and the children of Israel that he was leading already in the promised land. Already defeated Jericho and the king thereof. Already defeated all the mighty men of valor that the previous Israelites were afraid to engage with. See, God wants you to see. He wants you to see yourself healed. I mean, we could look at healing all day long, but until you see yourself healed, it ain't happening. God wants you to see yourself prospering. He wants you to see yourself victorious. He wants you to see where you're going before you get there. That's what vision is. He wants you, he wants you to see yourself already in the land, already enjoying all the benefits of the land. The milk, the honey, the figs, the pomegranates, the grapes. He wants you to have vision because without a vision, the people perish. And that's what happened to Israel. They perished in the wilderness. And another thing about Joshua, and this is a really important part, he's a soldier. He's a warrior. Moses was a diplomat. But Joshua is a warrior. He sees and understands things differently because he understands authority both going up the ladder and coming down the ladder. He understands the power that's in the authority of those that are above them above him. And he taught the ones below him the power and authority and what he thought in his words. And he was fully submitted to those above him. And he expected those underneath him to be fully submitted to him. And he held them accountable. Soldiers understood authority. One of the things that we learned in the service was you didn't question your drill sergeant. You didn't question the authority. It came from the Pentagon on down the chain to the to the uh, colonel and the major and then the sergeant major and then the all the way down to the buck sergeant and the buck sergeant told you what you were going to do and you never questioned it because he was speaking from a higher authority and so you just did it you just obeyed and you just did it whether you liked it or not whether you agreed with it or not whether you felt like it or not whether you even thought you were physically capable of doing it you did it why? Because you were taught submission and authority. And so they never argued with their leaders. They just obeyed them. A centurion soldier came to Jesus one time and asked him to heal his servant who was at the house sick. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion said, no, no, no. I'm not even worthy to have you come under my roof. You don't have to come to my house. Only speak the word. And my servant will be healed. 
Man, he understood the authority that Jesus had in the spiritual realm. He understood the power that Jesus had in the spiritual realm. He said, you don't have to come to my house. Speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus called that not only just faith, he called that great faith. Why? Because he understood authority. And he says that, you know, I, I, I'm a man under authority too. And I tell this man to do this and he does it. I tell this man to go and he, he goes. I tell this man to come and he comes. I understand authority and I understand your authority. Just speak the word. You don't have to come to my house. And the Bible said in the selfsame hour, his servant was healed. And what did he do? He just turned. He said, yes, sir. He just turned and walked his way. Knowing, never looked back, never doubted, was never in fear or unbelief. He said, I understand authority. Just speak the word, Jesus. And when Jesus spoke the word, that man said, yes, sir. And he turned around and he went back home. And he fully expected to see his servant healed. Amen. Moses was denied the promised land because he disobeyed God. See, Moses didn't have that understanding of authority. He didn't have the understanding of taking orders from above. He thought that he could do it his way. And it cost him the promised land. If you remember, he disobeyed God when God told him to speak to that rock in the wilderness and the rock would bring forth water. And Moses didn't speak to it. He struck it. Not once, but twice. And God said, because of that disobedience, you will not go into the promised land. I'll let you see it, but you're not going in. He was denied the promised land because of disobedience. And God says he'd rather have obedience than sacrifice, right? So Moses is denied the promised land. And we know that rock was a type and shadow of Jesus Christ himself and the crucifixion. And the first time that they had to get water from the rock. He told Moses to strike the rock, which represented the crucifixion. And the water and the, and the rock gave out life giving water. So it was a powerful symbol, a powerful emblem of a type and shadow of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion. So the second time he tells Moses, just speak to the rock because it's, he's already been crucified. The sacrifice has already been paid. You can't crucify him anew. And so Moses thought, well, I'm going to impress the people and I'm going to smack the rock again. This time I'm going to smack it twice. So when the water comes out, they'll know I'm big and bad. And it costs them the promised land. So when God does tell you something to do, when the commanding officer does tell you something to do, do it exactly like he told you to do it. You know, Jesus told the men at the wedding at Cana when they, when they ran out of wine, the mother says, do whatever he tells you to do. He, she told the servants, whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it and do it to the max. So when Jesus said, fill the, the uh, water pots up with water, they knew that they had to not only fill them, but fill them to the max. And then he says, go pour to the governor of the feast. And so they had to take that water, what they seen, they knew they poured water in there and now they're going to take that before the governor of the feast. And when they tip that jar and water comes out, they're going to get their heads cut off. But they were told exactly what to do and they did it. And what happened? A miracle. 
And when we begin to do exactly what God tells us to do, exactly how he tells us to do it, then we're going to see some miracles too. We're going to see some healings too. We're going to see money come out of unexpected places. Amen. We're going to see things that we didn't think we were capable of seeing or doing. Why? Because we did it his way, not our way. And, you know, his way can be slow sometimes, but it's slow for a reason because he's preparing you. And there's some things you have to change along the way before you get the blessing you're looking for. But you can't wait. You're, you, you were raised in a microwave society. I want it and I want it now. And so I'll help God and I'll do it this way instead of wait. And that blessing turns into a curse. Amen. Let me, let me give you a revelation that God showed me. Moses was denied the promised land because he disobeyed God and struck the rock rather than speak to it like he was told to do. Well, Joshua would have never struck that rock. See the difference in the leaderships? Joshua would have obeyed and did exactly what God told him to do and he would have just spoke to the rock. No room for fear, no room for doubt, no room for unbelief. Y'all listening to me? He would have never struck the rock. He would have spoke to it just like he was told. Why? Because he was a man under authority. And he understood the power and authority. And he submitted to it. Moses was hot-headed. He didn't submit to it. He did it his way. And it got him in trouble. The centurion recognized the authority that Jesus had in the spiritual realm because he knew what authority was in the physical realm, in the natural realm. And that's how we learn things. You know, Jesus can't explain spiritual things to us directly. We wouldn't understand them. And so he says, a sower went forth to sow. A fisherman cast a net. Why? He's trying to convey spiritual truths to us by natural Things that we could understand. We know how a farmer operates. We know how a fisherman operates and what he does. And so Jesus uses them as examples to show us some spiritual truths. And that's what we're learning today. We're looking at natural examples in the Old Testament of natural things that happen to natural people. But we have to uh, learn the spiritual implications and how it applies to us. Because we're not going to move a mountain in the natural. We're not going to slay a giant in the natural. We're not going to tear down the walls of Jericho in the natural. But in the spiritual realm, these are the things that's holding you back from your blessings and from your promises. But if you learn to understand authority, the authority of God, the authority of Jesus, and you learn, you learn what a chain of commands is and where you sit in that chain and you will see miracles yourself. You will, you will slay giants and move mountains and tear down walled cities. And, and you will demolish the mighty men of valor that the devil sends before you to, to stop you or to slow you down. Why? Because you understand authority. And just like the song, you understand the authority that's in that name. You understand the authority that's in the blood. You understand the authority that's in your testimony. And because of that, you won't have doubts. You won't have fears. You won't have unbelief. Why? If nothing else, because you understand authority. Amen. Now, let me close here. Let me give you 
example that you can understand. If we would recognize the authority that Jesus has and the authority that's in the Word of God, if we'll only apply that in the natural realm, if we only understood the authority Jesus had, we would never question His Word again. See, that's part of our problem. You hear the Word all the time. You read the Word all the time. It's preached to you. You study it. You read it. You pray to God. But do you really understand the authority? Are you looking or are you seeing? You've got to see. But I'm not trying to discourage you from looking because that's how you eventually see something. You know, remember I talked about the logos and the rhema? You know, the logos is the written word. This is what we look at. But when God highlights something and something becomes pertinent to you and all of a sudden it jumps off the page or it stands out to you, that is the rhema. That is what you are to see. Not just look at that now. Now you got something that you've seen. That's what you got to dig into. That's what you got to get into your heart. And you've got to understand the, the authority in the word that you finally seen, whatever it is. And when you do, then when Jesus says, soldier, by my stripes, you're healed, you'll say, yes, sir. And you'll walk away healed. Never looking back, never fearing, never doubting, never unbelieving. Soldier, I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. Yes, sir. Period. Turn and walk away. Soldier whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Yes, sir. That means I walk away, I don't have any fear, doubt, unbelief, and I ain't going back to what he set me free from. Why? I understand the authority of the word. I understand the power that was in the word that Jesus spoke to us. Soldier, I want you blessed and prospering. Yes, sir. And you turn and walk away. You ask Pat or Queen or anybody else that's been in the military. Brother Darrell was a Marine. You ask them if the drill sergeant or, or a commanding officer told you something, all you said was, yes, sir. And you turned and walked away, never feared, never doubt, no unbelief. And you did what he told you to do. And you'd be surprised the things that we could do. Soldier, you're going to run five miles a day. Yes, sir. But you went out there and you ran that five miles. Amen. And if you started lagging behind, somebody stronger than you would pick you up and pull you through. But you ran that five miles. You did it. Why? Because he knew you could. And God knows you can. Soldier, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You'll never be alone. This battle is not yours, but it's mine. Yes, sir. And you turn and go. Soldier, walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, sir. So I don't walk by what I see. I see the enemy. I see what he set before me. But I don't walk by that. I walk by the fact that God told me he's with me. And I'm not alone. And the battle's not mine. That's what little David said before Goliath. He said, the battle's not mine, but thine, O Lord. And so that's what he was able to go in and defeat the, the giant with, is what God told him. Soldier, these are not suggestions. These are orders. Amen. If God says you're healed, what happens? You're healed. If he said he's going to meet all your needs, what's going to happen? He's going to meet all your needs. And if they're not getting met, it's because you didn't say yes, sir, and walk away with no fear, doubt, or unbelief. Yes. 
Amen. You ain't seen it yet. You just looked at it. You got to see it. You know, the, the children of Israel were disobedient in the wilderness. Long story short, God sent fiery serpents amongst them. That means poisonous snakes. And they were fiery because they were red in color. They might have been copperheads or something like that. And they started biting and killing the people. So Moses cries out and intercedes for Israel. And God says, put a serpent on a pole. So he said, fashion a pole with a serpent on it. He said, as the people look on the serpent, they'll be healed. But that word look meant a, a, a long, it was a beholding. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just a glance. It was a beholding. In other words, you had to look at that pole and you had to take it in. You had to look at it until you seen it and then you were healed. Then you didn't get bit anymore. And that pole represented Christ. Amen. Why didn't they put a little lamb up on the pole? That's a, that's a whole lot. That's more like, no, Christ became a serpent for you. Christ took on all your sins. And as we behold the cross, we're made whole and healed. We're saved because we didn't just glance at it. We just didn't look at it. We saw it. We seen what he had did. We accepted what he had did. We said, yes, sir, and walked away saved. And it's the same cross that you can look at and receive healing. Amen. Amen. But the first thing is salvation. You've got to receive salvation. Amen. You not only have to look at it, but you have to see it. You have to believe it in your heart. And then speak it with your mouth. Then you're saved. It ain't just because pastor said it. It's something you need to see. It's something you need to behold. It's something that you need to drink in. And receive it. And then when he says. If you believe in your heart. Speak with your mouth. Thou shalt be saved. You're able at that point to say. Yes sir. And walk away saved. Why? Because you understood the power of the cross and the power in that authority. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet. I'm not going to call anybody up this morning, but I'm going to pray for you right where you're at in your seat. And I feel led to do this because I, I, I just feel in my spirit that we ain't all where we should be. That some of us in here, at least one or two, may have a doubt is something along the way. And hopefully after today, you have a better understanding of not only authority, but the power that's in that authority. If Jesus said it, it's so. If God said it, it's so. No matter what you think or anybody else thinks, it is so. Why? Because there's power in the authority of that name. There's power in what he said. And so I'm gonna ask you, if you're not where you belong, I want you to say this prayer with me. And or if you never were saved, never accepted the finished work of the cross or the power that's in the cross, I want you to say it as well. Amen. Somebody ain't, somebody ain't never been born again. Somebody ain't sure if they're born again. Somebody that made mistakes. I'm gonna, I want us all to say this prayer. All right. Now, the Bible says if you say it and you mean it and you mean it from your heart by you speaking it out, 
it's going to be so. Amen? So say this after me. Heavenly Father, I don't know you the way I should, but I want to. So I'm asking you to come into my heart right now. Forgive me of my sins. Wipe the slate clean. Give me a brand new start. In Jesus' name. I believe Jesus is Lord. He died for my sins. Was raised on the third day. And is seated at the right hand. Of God my Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now that's for somebody who didn't know the Lord. If you said that prayer and you meant it from your heart, now you know him. Now this is for those of you that ain't where you should be. Uh, made a mistake. Now I'm not going to say made a mistake. That wouldn't be a sin. You sinned. You disobeyed God. And you know you're not right with him. I want you to say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me according to your word. I confess that I fall short of your perfect standard. I missed the mark. I disobeyed. And I did things I shouldn't have did. I didn't do things that I should have did. And I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, restore me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't know if you got saved today. If you did, tell somebody. Uh, and if you uh, got restored today, don't let the devil talk you out of it. Amen. God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. We'll see you Wednesday or next Sunday. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.